My name is Steve Gilman, and for decades I've been helping brands engage with their audiences. On this podcast, we'll connect the dots in the fast-paced world of branding by talking with entrepreneurs, leaders, and marketers on the front lines of telling brand stories. In this episode of Brand Story, I talk with thought leader Jay Harrington, who is president of Harrington Communications, about building relationships through LinkedIn, storytelling, and the importance of adopting an abundance mindset. Welcome to the Brand Story Podcast. Our guest today is Jay Harrington. Jay is a lawyer who worked at big law firms and built a successful firm of his own. For the last decade, he's become one of the country's top coaches, trainers, and consultants for the legal industry. He's also the author of four books, co-hosts the Thought Leadership Project podcast, and writes monthly columns for top legal publications such as Law.com and Attorney at Work. And Jay's also, on top of all that, the president of Harrington Communications, his own communications firm. And Jay, hi, thanks for being on the Brand Story podcast today. Steve, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah, your career is fascinating. And, you know, you and I have talked and I follow you on LinkedIn. And and honestly, I think your story is really inspiring for people that are in huge, huge organizations or in cities. And, you know, you've made some lifestyle choices that I think are really interesting that we'll talk about a bit. I was reading your book, The Productivity Pivot, and you describe when you left big law and then you started your own small firm and it was right in the middle of the financial crisis. And I think that sudden hustle really like taught you some things you learned a lot. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I know sometimes it seems crazy looking back to think, oh, you know, you go from a relatively stable and safe environment of a big law firm, and that's the time you make a jump to start a, a small law firm of your own, really at the time with no clients of my own um, to speak of. Uh, but there was the advantage that we had, at least that I had, was that um, the practice area that I specialized in was corporate restructuring. So, you know, that was a time period, as we all remember, that, um, you know, the bankruptcy wave was hitting, companies were struggling. Um, so I figured if I was ever going to go out on my own, that was the moment. Um, that said, uh, and it ter- all turned out very well, it was scary in many respects, because like I said, I didn't really have clients. Um, you know, all of a sudden I had an office space, I had employees, payroll to meet, all of those things, which I'd never had to deal with before. And we, you know, we got our firm up and running in about a 30 day period of time. So it was fast. That is fast. Yeah, because we want, we knew, we kind of knew, um, you know, we were based in Detroit. And in addition to the financial crisis, of course, there was the um, crisis happening within the automotive industry, uh, which, which we were in the middle of. So we knew that Chrysler was on the cusp of bankruptcy and GM was shortly to follow. And so we, I think we opened our doors maybe three days after the Chrysler filing and we were off and running. Um, so, so that helped. I mean, there was there was massive demand, um, and we figured a, a bit more supply in the marketplace could uh, could help uh, service that demand, and it it all turned out pretty well at the end. But yeah, it was it was a bit harrowing, but um, we figured it out as we went. Yeah, that's a big change from working at a big corporate firm, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden being on your own. Had you ever been an entrepreneur before? Because all of a sudden you're thrust into this totally different world. No, no. I mean, I I um, I, I think you know I was. I went right from undergrad to law school to a big law firm. Um, so, you know, I had had the typical, you know, jobs you have growing up during the summer months, but nothing, uh, nothing approaching entrepreneurship. Um, so, 
you know, the need to get up to speed pretty quick. Um, yeah, there is something to be said about, you know, putting yourself, um, I think there's the old, you know, um, metaphor analogy about burning the boats, so to speak, where you kind of, you know, don't leave yourself any option, but to push forward and, and succeed. Um, and that, that definitely fueled us. And, um, I keep saying us uh, speaking in, in a plural sense. I had a partner at the time who, uh, um, I started the firm with who also left a, a big law, the same big law firm I did. Um, so we, you know, we hustled quite a bit and we were able to, um, you know, make it all work, but, but it is very different. And, and, you know, that's the thing I really enjoyed though. And I think I missed, um, what I, what I look back on now is, and realize is that you can be very entrepreneurial within a big organization, especially like a law firm where, you know, it's, it's a unique industry. Well, it's like any service industry, but um, where, you know, the individual professionals are both responsible for bringing in the business and oftentimes servicing the business. Um, so you have to, you have to figure that out and, and you can be very entrepreneurial within an organization like that. But, you know, the culture, you know, when I started practicing law, which was back in 2001, the culture at the very big firm that I worked at was, um, just keep your head down, do good work, and things like becoming a partner in the firm will take care of itself because they were institutional clients, that kind of thing. That mindset has definitely um, changed, and and it's bad advice yeah. <laughs> for anyone who's just starting off in, in any career. It is bad advice. But yeah, so that in that sense, I was not ready for entrepreneurship, but I don't know who who really is, in a sense. You kind of have to figure it out. So how did that lead from, you know, you start your own small firm, you had the 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 bravery to just take the leap and, and I'm glad it was working for you. What, what started that from there to the transition to being a communicator for lawyers and trying to help people figure this thing that you had figured out? So uh, a couple things. I mean, one, one was that when I, uh, when I kind of, part of it was just opportunistic in the sense of the, I kind of saw the, the end coming to the, to the wave of work that we had been servicing, and, and it was a good run, but it was it was very stressful um, in many respects. Uh, so I, you know, was kind of thinking about what the next phase is. I have a tendency to kind of you know bounce from thing to thing sometimes, and and always looking at what the next new opportunity is. Um, and at that time, my wife Heather had she had already um, started what is our current business uh, right now, and she's a graphic designer by trade. But oh, that's cool. When we left um, Chicago back in the mid 2000s, she when we moved back to the Detroit area, she rather than getting a job, she kind of started her own small, you know, just freelancing, doing design work, um, which led to, you know, some little bit larger clients. She was able to hire some other people, you know, the typical story of how I think a lot of creative agencies start Um, at that. So at that point, when and, and at the time we were running our law firm in the same building that she was running her marketing agency. Um, so I was kind of immersed in both worlds, you know, your spouse is running a business and, and it's in the same building. And, um, so I, I definitely saw an opportunity, um, to apply some of the skills, you know, I had learned as a practicing lawyer and someone who ran a, a small law firm to the legal world, which is always behind the curve in terms of things like marketing, business development, um, and, so after about four years of the law firm, I decided to make the jump over there. Um, and part of it was driven by um, a, a, desire, a desire for a different lifestyle. Um, practice of law is, is very demanding. Um, and, 
a lot of long hours. Not that there aren't in other fields. And one thing I always tell people is, you know, I, I don't necessarily work a, a fewer hours. I mean, I probably work somewhat fewer hours. Um, but there's, you know, the stress level is a little different, right? The consequences of the work aren't quite what they are in the work I do now, especially since, you know, there's no, you know, there's not like the malpractice um, risk hanging over you with everything you do. And there's also, there's also not someone on the other side of every piece of work product I create who's looking to poke holes in it, yeah. you know, where, where there is in a, in an adversarial environment, like, you know, litigation or yeah. something like that. So, so th those stresses um, weigh on you over time. So we, I was looking for a different lifestyle and we, we were also at the time thinking about, you know, moving the marketing agency once I joined it from a, a bricks and mortar operation to a virtual operating model in part because we wanted to move to somewhere um, that we desired to live. And that wasn't going to necessarily allow for us to be um, in a physical environment because, you know, our employees weren't necessarily going to move with us. So so in any event, I think to answer your question directly, I think it was um, uh, twofold. One was I saw an opportunity, a business opportunity. And, and secondly, I saw an opportunity to, to kind of design a, a different lifestyle, one that we were more um, attracted to. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, that's a big jump from, you know, you're trained to be a lawyer, you were a lawyer at a big law firm and the small one, and then just to have the inspiration to become a communicator and thought leader for lawyers, I think is is really just a fascinating story. And it being somewhat lifestyle oriented, I really relate to because we were in the Washington DC market for years and with big clients up there and, you know, uh, one of my last 50 to an hour long commutes to go four miles, I decided, nope, not doing this anymore. And I moved our entire company to the Shenandoah Valley. So you all are in some place kind of in relation to Chicago like that now, right? Yeah. So um, we are in Northern Michigan uh, in a town called Traverse City. Um, small town. I think it's 15,000 or 16,000 full-time residents. Um, although in the, in these months, in the summer months, it, it can swell to, you know, two, three, 400,000 at a time because people flock here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those areas that's, um, you know, it's right, right on Lake Michigan. Um, a lot of natural surroundings, uh, enables the lifestyle, active lifestyle that we, that we like, we like to downhill ski, in the winter, um, you know, be on the water in the summer and, and it offers that opportunity. And, you know, it also, um, has a, a great entrepreneurial vibe here, which is, which is nice. Although, you know, we don't, um, we don't have a client within probably 200 miles of us. Um, so we don't, we don't, which is kind of nice. Cause I never have to think about, you know, marketing or b doing business with anyone up here. Right, right? You're not going to run into them at the coffee shop, and yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm never, I never wear that hat up here, which is, um, which is kind of nice, you know. So you can kind of separate work from life to a greater extent, uh, and that's kind of what we were looking for. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a good move. Um, and, and the surprise, you know, the thing that surprised me because, of course, when you make a move like that, and you may have had the same experience, Steve, which is. You fear for uh, you fear that you know certain clients might find out and wonder what's going on and and leave. They won't and all like that. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you know we didn't know exactly what would happen, but we thought it was a risk worth taking. It turns out it wasn't a risk at all. No one cared for the most part. Um, the only uh, the only act you know one of the clients that I really feared 
losing, um, or I thought it, I, you know, it wouldn't have been a huge impact, but at least that I thought it was likely to um, maybe leave because um, the company he ran, he liked to meet face to face all the time and all that. Well, it turns out about six months after we moved, I got a call from him and he wanted to um, have a conversation. And And I thought, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah, right. You know, and, and what he called to tell me was that he was actually moving to Traverse City. <laughs> um, so of all That's things. Great. Yeah, I think. I think we were a little ahead on the remote working uh, curve that I think has become really acceptable and really part of life now. But yeah. I had the same thing with clients. We were working with the U.S. Postal Service, and you know they really like to meet face to face, very traditional, you know, very buttoned up. And when they found out we were you know two and a half hours away in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley, their response was completely not what I expected. I expected to have to talk about it a lot and be like, "I'll just you know we'll be up here anytime you need us." They were like, "Can we come down there for meetings?" Yep. <laughs> they just wanted to get the heck out of the city, you know? Yep. So yep. it worked great for us. We kept clients there. We had clients in Richmond, Virginia, and we're sort of in between two cities. So, and the lifestyle is just totally different. And I think, you know, the move you made getting away from that type of law into helping people communicate, and I can understand like the stress levels, even if you work the same amount of hours, it's a different form of stakes. Now you're helping people where in law you're helping people too, but it's it's filled with conflict. There's a lot of, you know, it's difficult yeah. as far as the situations that you're in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, in in the type of work I did, it was always a crisis. You know, it was always a fire drill, and it was always a consequential one, right? Um, there's always a lot of money at stake, you know, and and so people, you know, it, it came with the commensurate level of, of stress that, that comes with that sort of scenario. So, yeah, that... The ability now to work in a different environment where, um, you know, and, and, and we've, we've also worked really hard because I think you still get that a lot in creative services where um, you, you know, you, you build an agency and one of your, you know, core values is uh, we, we provide excellent client service, but then you, you uh, make your clients accustomed to you jumping all the time and training them to like not think ahead and plan. And, and, and so, you know, we, we found there was a period of time where it was like, we were still dealing with hot requests all the time and clients thinking nothing of being like, Oh, we forgot we have an ad due tomorrow. Can you get that done for us? And, you know, it wasn't always a heavy lift, but that, that became more and more frequent. Um, and so, you know, as a result of just enough of that, you know, kind of pain and same problem over and over, um, we've we've definitely tried and I think succeeded over time to to get in a position where we're much more in a leadership role in those relationships where it's like, all right, here, here's the plan for the month and here's how we're going to execute it. And so it's much more structured. So that's definitely helped on the, I guess, lifestyle front as well in terms of just just having a more structured approach to work as opposed to training clients that you can just handle whatever you th- whatever they throw at you, regardless of you know how unreasonable. Yeah, and you train them through your own behavior by delivering really quickly. And then when once you start doing it, then they want it all the time. And you just can't do that for all clients. So no, you can't. Setting those reasonable expectations and having those conversations, you know, it's it's something I think everyone that I know that works in, you know, creative consulting or creative businesses, they all run into that, whether they're designers or producers or cinematographers, yeah. everyone runs into it. So what do you what do you wish that kind of leads into the next question? What do you wish that marketers or people on the business side that you work with uh, knew about storytelling? Well, I think it's that people people make decisions 
um, as a result of emotions, not necessarily intellect or logic. So, you know, they, um, and, and stories are what evoke emotion. And so I think that the ability to tell an interesting story about yourself, about your business, about your background is what allows you to create that positive association with you and your ideas and the solutions you provide in a way that just mere, you know, talking about characteristics and qualities and and services just can't accomplish. Um, and so I think that that's, that's really important. Um, and, you know, for just to give the example from our world or our domain, you know, with providing services to lawyers and law firms, you know, when, when it's, when it's you, the, um, you know, the lawyer or the professional who is actually doing work for clients and also responsible for developing that business, um, the ability to tell effective stories that people resonate with, um, is, is what, is really the foundation, I think, of marketing and business development in the, in those fields, and the ability to tell effective stories really um, results from paying attention to your day to day work and lived experience. Right? It's those, you know, I when I when I coach or train people on like creating content for LinkedIn, for example, it's all about paying attention. It's never content creation is never. Uh, an issue that relates to you know the notion of writer's block, right? It's always idea block. Like it's not no, not knowing how to write. It's having ideas to write about. Um, and when you pay attention to you know questions that clients ask you, or struggles you've had in the past where you've learned lessons from that experience, or you know just whatever things that you learned coaching your daughter's soccer game this past weekend that's the kind of thing that resonates and builds an audience and allows you to have a platform um, that pe people pay attention to so i think that that notion that it's not about you know it's not about how much you know but it's your ability to connect on an emotional level with an audience and that's done through storytelling that really you know, helps you build your brand or, um, you know, create connections with people through your content that you can't do any other way. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of, uh, physician leaders and CEOs and CMOs and uh, a lot of people who aren't marketers or aren't storytellers, you know, they want to sell or they want to give you a bunch of proof points or they want you to talk about benefits, but people do um, buy emotionally then defend it logically. They don't buy logically and defend it emotionally usually. So emotion plays a big part. And one of the things I've seen you talk about on LinkedIn, because I see, you know, you see people on LinkedIn that are always selling. And then you see people on LinkedIn that are just being human and telling stories that are engaging people. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably a muscle that a lot of people don't have, you know, or they haven't developed yet. So, you know, if you've, if you've, been in a culture or a big business where you're just supposed to sell and you're both just supposed to talk about the benefit you bring, you don't think about, you know, I'm just going to be a person and tell stories that'll engage others. But you talk a little bit about having an abundance mindset on LinkedIn. Can you talk about that a little bit? Cause I found that really fascinating. Yeah. So this is the notion that, you know, being generous on a platform like LinkedIn and by ge being generous, I mean, sharing what, you know, um, you know, being, being very um, open and honest and sharing your ideas in a way that are helpful to people, um, that, you know, that allows people to be attracted to you and, and want to follow what you have to say. Um, 
commenting on and supporting other people's posts and their efforts to to gain an audience on the platform when seeing that someone is looking for a job trying to look out for that person um, just generally coming to the platform with a mindset that um you know i think i think i, I wrote a post a couple weeks back and if if you would come to linkedin and say instead of who can help me here um who can i help here you're going to find a much greater level of success because the the law of or the rule of reciprocation does kick in. Um, so if you can give as much as possible without any expectation of reciprocity from those you're you're trying to be helpful to, um, you know the the universe sort of rewards your your abundance. And I can't tell you why that is exactly. Um, I can't tell you the exact like science behind it all, um, but. I've seen it work over and over. And, you know, we've, we also see the counterexample of that, which is, you know, sort of a scarcity mindset where someone's always pitching, um, someone is always holding back, um, someone is always, uh, you know, thinking that whatever attention someone else is getting, it's robbing right. them of their opportunity for attention, uh, you know, all of these things. And, and great way to live. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it just, it's just the way it is. So I think if you can have that, that abundance mindset and be, and, and with that abundance mindset comes patience too, right? I mean, we're always in a hurry. We, we think that, and this is always frustrating with clients, right? Where they, they think, oh, marketing, everything should be a big splash that has an instant impact. And that's just not the way it works, especially in, especially in businesses um, like legal services where, you know, to go from the point at which, a prospective client becomes aware of you to the point at which they're going to hire you involves a whole lot of trust building. And, you know, you, you need to have patience that your abundance and generosity um, over time will be rewarded. Um, because if you come with that scarcity mindset, you're, you're going to turn people off. I couldn't agree more. Companies that we work with, we've been their, their agency for 10 plus years because we just show up every day trying to help. Like we're not trying to sell. We're not trying to get them to do something. We're actually just trying to help. And I think that abundance mindset, I think applies to life. It applies to social media. And I, I see people respond to that on social media over and over again, especially on LinkedIn, because when you cheer someone else on, it doesn't cost you a thing. You know, it isn't taking away from your accolades. It isn't taking away from your business, you know? The, there's a big enough pie for all of us out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's the way it is. Just, just go on and observe. You know, I always tell my clients that who are, who are like, I, I haven't, I can't figure this LinkedIn, LinkedIn thing out. It's just, just pay attention. Um, and you'll see, you'll, you'll notice the patterns. You'll, you'll spot the connections and you'll, you'll be able to witness like what is working on the platform. Um, and of course, you know, there's a difference. There's, there are people who are, pitch all the time and seem to get a lot of engagement on their posts and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I, I, I wonder whether they're actually that attention is translating into what we all want, which is business. Um, I think they're two different things. Whereas I know, I mean, certainly my approach, I, once in a while, you know, I think Gary Vaynerchuk uses the term um, jab, 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 right yeah, hook. Like, yeah. Every once in a while, you can throw a right hook. But you know, you want to build up the goodwill such that that right hook actually lands with people. And that's, that's by, you know, mostly giving value over time. And, um, you know, I, I know that I almost never, you know, if I have a new book coming out or something, yeah, I'll, there'll be some promotion related to that. But, you know, I post 
every day on on LinkedIn, sometimes twice. It's it can be a bit obnoxious, I'm sure, for some people. Oh, actually, but, um, I love it. Yeah, but it's almost never. I mean, at least I try never to be overtly promotional with any of the content. Um, and yet, despite that, you know, my my clients are smart enough to figure out, like, well, if you know, I seem to like what this guy has to say. I at least want to maybe I'm I'm provoked enough to have a conversation, understand what he does to help people like me. And that's always the starting point for new business. I mean, I think it's a starting point for, uh, you know, the, the, the way that you do it. And I, I am one of your audience members on LinkedIn really enjoy what you do there. Um, and I think a lot of people could learn from what you do, honestly. So if you're not following Jay, please follow Jay because his content is amazing. Um, so one of the, one of the things that I think is true about, you know, you're put, putting stuff out there, you're jab, 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 maybe occasionally you ask for the business, but you know, it's which business you get to. So you don't, you know, it's not a good fit with everyone. So that using that abundance philosophy or using that attraction philosophy means you're probably going to end up connecting more with people that are like-minded or someone that's a good fit, because just like any relationship, if you get into a dysfunctional business relationship, it's zero fun for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, so I mean, that's a great point, Steve. And you know, I don't know if I've totally been conscious about or or intentional about that, but I do think that you know, when it comes to the type of things that I write, I'm I try to be very genuine and authentic about what I think works. Like for clients, so I talk about things like you know the importance of creating thought leadership content and how from a marketing standpoint, you know, that's a long game that yeah. can be very fruitful, but it's not an overnight, you know, new business strategy for, for people. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think just people, I, I don't write about things that are more like quick fixes. Um, so anyone who's looking for that quick fix might, I might turn them off and that's okay. I'd rather turn them off than have them, you know, start a relationship with someone who I can't really help um or or even have a conversation with them so yeah the ability to you know be genuine about what you do and what you do best and attract an audience of of like-minded people you know you don't i always say too you don't need a big uh, you know i'd I'd much rather have an audience that is very interested in what i have to say and and is bought into the notion of of my philosophy than like you know a big disparate audience of people who who just it's just mere size as opposed to uh, the quality of the composition of the audience. So, um, so yeah, the ability to the ability to allow people to to sort of opt out from your message um, by being genuine and consistent, I think, is is a key component of all of this. Do you get a lot of interaction or followers that aren't from the legal realm? You know, I know you specialize in helping law firms and helping lawyers that are in solo practices tell their story or learn how to tell their story. So do you get interaction from others a lot of the time? Because I follow you. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I own a marketing agency and um, a brand consultant. But as soon as I saw your content, I was attracted to it. And it's not even intended for me. Right, right. Well, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and and I, I do uh, quite a bit. And probably for the same reason. I mean, nothing I'm saying is unique to the legal industry for the most part. I mean, I, I shouldn't say nothing, but much of it. The core principles, the, the foundational principles are transferable to any business, especially in the service industry. Um, and so, yeah, you, you know, people can recognize that, um, you know, if it's, if it usually if it works in the legal industry, it's going to work in any any service business um so and and it 
you know, one of the consequences of that is, yeah, while we we have a very defined niche of serving um, the legal industry, we oftentimes get inquiries from and and do work for other professional services who um, kind of look to the legal industry. Legal industry among the service industries is is a bit unique because it's probably the best, at least, you know, things like management consulting or accounting. It has a like a a trade association for legal marketing professionals that's pretty robust and large and and so I know a lot of other adjacent industries look to the legal industry as like you know the um kind of the standard of of having you know robust in-house legal de- uh, marketing departments that kind of thing um so you know they look for agencies that serve that industry and they think well you know if you can help sophisticated law firms you can help our economic consulting firm yeah, for right. example that makes a lot of sense because the the industry you serve is not uh, simple, and also it's not without demanding clients. Right, but it's fundamentally the same business model as uh, as any other sophisticated service, um, and and that gets to an important point. You know, this because this is something I deal with with my clients all the time, which is the notion of having a like a niche for your business or a narrow focus to who you serve. And, you know, oftentimes I'll tell my clients, look, you know, having a niche can make you very attractive to the one market segment you're communicating to, but it doesn't foreclose you from having opportunities to serve anyone else because clients are smart. They can figure out the same same way that an economic consulting firm can figure out we can help them with their marketing. Um, other adjacent industries to the one that a lawyer might focus on can figure out that same equation. Um, so it's, you know, it's about, you know, putting a stake in the ground and really trying to be super hyper relevant to a market segment, but doesn't mean you can't serve others. Yeah. It doesn't disqualify. I mean, we were, we've done decades of healthcare marketing and financial marketing, and it's kind of the same thing. We have other adjacent and other, other clients that aren't in those industries, but they look at the industries that we've specialized in and go, wow, if you can do that, you can help me because those are not, you know, one, both are fairly highly regulated. Both have a lot of, a lot of high stakes communication that goes on. So it's kind of the same thing, you know, and I, I really respect the work you do with law firms because it is very complex. So there's something you have talked about on LinkedIn about writing style. And I, th- I think has a lot of, would have a lot of benefit to people listening. You talk a little bit about writing fluency and ta- and writing in a conversational style. And I think you do that about as well as anyone I've seen. So uh, how do you help people? What do you, what do you talk to people about to help them get there? Yeah, well, I mean, it starts with really understanding who your audience is. And so some of your writing is context dependent or audience um, dependent. Um, But for the most part, you know, if we're talking about something like um, writing, you know, creating thought leadership content, creating posts on LinkedIn, um, people, you know, more than anything else, people want you to keep it simple um, and write in a conversational style. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about businesses where the individual is the business from all respects. At least that's how the client perceives it, right? You know, there's an old saying in the um, in the legal industry, and I think it's probably um, pro- it may not be unique to the legal industry, but clients ho- hire the lawyer, not the law firm. Um, so you wanna you don't want to come across as a you know just a 
a cog in the institution uh, of the of the big law firm, but rather you know an individual who has a personality and a story to tell. Um, so being able to write in a conversational style that is um, serving the needs and the desires of your audience is really important. So that involves one storytelling, of course. You know, people people connect with stories. It's the ancient form of communication that where we've, you know, passed down information and and recorded history and all of that. Um, and it's and it's the way that um, lessons are are um, distilled and. Uh, taught to other people. Um, also, you know, one of the things that lawyers have a really hard time, in particular, and I think many people do across industries, is you know, putting putting their face and their identity on their writing. So, meaning writing in the first person as opposed to sort of hiding behind the mask of third person writing. Yeah, and also being a real person, being a little yeah. bit vulnerable. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yes, a vulnerability. Like right. People want. People don't expect you to be, nor do they want you to be perfect. And if you're coming across as, you know, without fault on um, through your through the content you're creating on a platform like LinkedIn, it's just not going to resonate with people. Um, so the ability to talk about things you've struggled with, and then importantly, um, the ability to take those lessons learned and share them with other people in a way that might help them from your experience is really powerful and I think connects you with other people. Um, and so, yeah, there's lots of elements to writing more effectively. I mean, um, you know, writing in a simple, you know, fashion, not, not making the mistake that um, people thinking that people will think you're smarter for using grandiose terms. And, and as, as I wrote about today in a post, $10 words. Don't write to impress. Yeah, exactly. It's not impressive. Um, frankly, it turns people off. And, and getting to the point, right? You know, being concise. And that's one of the things that, for me, um, I like most about LinkedIn, because writing is a practice like any other, and requires practice. And writing in a um, constrained environment like LinkedIn, where you only have 1,300 characters in a post to get your point across, which works out to about 200 words, that's great practice. And that will have a spillover effect, a positive spillover effect to all of your communication. Um, ever since I started you know, writing daily posts on LinkedIn, um, you know, the books I've written have gotten better, I think. Uh, my emails get better. Kind of tightens up everything. It, it does. It does. Everything, you know, my, my speeches have gotten better. Um, you just realize that you can say a lot in less space um, when you're forced to. And, and the only, you know, it's one of the few places we're forced to. I mean, you could say Twitter too, but yeah. there it's like, if you, you know, I mean, that's effective too. But I think LinkedIn, that 200 word um, count is really a great uh, amount because you can say something really meaningful within 200 words, but it's not easy. It's you have to not work easy. At it. Exactly. And you've really got to become an effective editor of your own writing, which is also another skill. So you started posting daily in October, right? Mm -hmm. This last October. And uh, that's right. I think a lot of people would find that very intimidating because that is quite, you know, for people who are on LinkedIn and trying to use LinkedIn the right way and create their own content, I think writing daily is one of those things that would intimidate people. What kind of advice do you give around that? Because that is quite a plunge you took. Yeah. Um, well, first off, I would say, you know, as a as maybe a motivating point, uh, it's been very beneficial. Um, as I mentioned, I think it it has a um, a benefit for all of the communication you do. 
Um, and also it's had a significant benefit in terms of um, marketing and business development for our business. There's been nothing, and it, I'm, it's not even close, nothing that's been more um, rewarding in terms of new business opportunities um, than the the when I started posting on LinkedIn. It's been far and away um, the best marketing we've ever done. Um, or the most beneficial marketing we've ever done. Um, but, you know, as far as, you know, how to dive into something like that, um, the the way I, I would say, you know, you oftentimes see these things where people will pose, you know, these 30-day challenges, something like that. Um, but that that sort of thing where you do challenge yourself and commit to a like a 30-day period of time, because that sounds a little less intimidating yeah, than does. posting every day. Forever. You know, for eternity. <laughs> right. Um, if you've just got to commit to 30 days, well, I mean, that might not sound easy, but probably feels a little less intimidating. Um, and what you'll find, I find that there's some magic to that 30-day number because I've seen you know clients kind of go through this transformation where it's really hard slog at first, um, but then when they get to the 30-day uh, mark, it becomes far, far easier. Um, and so there's a few reasons for that. Um, one would be, you know, they've developed a better um, productivity system around it. I mean, one of the tips that I, one of the tactics I use to be able to write, um, you know, posts every day is I don't write posts every day. I batch write posts when I, you know, in in shorter, in, in you know, a little bit longer periods of time. So, you know, I'll try to set aside maybe 60 to 90 minutes early on a Saturday morning and just knock out, you know, three or four posts. So I've got a big head start. You know, you get into a flow state and you can really um, get get some writing cranked out. Um, the other big thing is, you know, there there is not, you know, again, it's not really, it's not really writer's block that's the problem. It's idea block, um, coming up with ideas for posts. And so, you know, the ability to start, implementing a system where you're paying attention to and getting getting your subconscious working on the problem of finding good ideas to post about is the is the thing that unlocks your ability to post every day because once once you start paying attention even if subconsciously you'll you'll see ideas for posts everywhere you know every conversation you have everything you read every podcast you listen to every experience you have out there in the world yeah exactly everything is like oh i could post about that i could post about that and then you just sort of analogize that to the audience that you are you know i'll write about pablo picasso or michelangelo or I, I have a post I'm writing about Ernest Shackleton, who was the su subject of a book um, about a shipwreck that I just finished reading. Um, and, and I'll make it all relevant to the legal industry. Um, but it's just, again, it's another form of storytelling where um, there are no new ideas. It's just, uh, you know, a unique spin on old ideas. And that's that's really what helps, I think, people post um, more frequently is that they get to the point where they're seeing those ideas everywhere. And soon you have more ideas than you could ever write posts about because, again, they're, you know, you record and, and, and having a means to capture those ideas, a note app on your phone or whatever, where you're dumping ideas into. So all those things help, um, I think, in, in taking on something like this where you're trying to, um, you know, get content out there every day and be visible. Yeah, I think, you know, to jump off what you said, I think part of it that people find intimidating is coming up with the ideas. Mm -hmm. And it's because they haven't thought about one of the things you said, which is you got to use what's around you and you got to use your own life. So if you, you know, if people are uncomfortable and it, a lot of times because they don't know they can, it's that they, they haven't given themselves permission 
to be a business person, but you also be the person they are. You know, so you talk about your life, you talk about things going on that have gone on in the past or are going on now. So it's topical and you're using it to relate to, you know, current events and things you want to say. So I think that I think that really helps people because the ideas are all around you and it's it's a a practice of observing and being vulnerable and sharing your authentic self instead of being a business robot. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so there's, you know, there's a line to draw. I mean, I think authenticity and vulnerability, I think Seth Godin talks about this notion where, you know, you don't want to be authentic to the point where, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of exposing therapy session. Yeah. all of your warts to the world. Exactly. <laughs> People want to hire, you know, they want your best self to show up when sure. they hire you to, to yeah. do your work. But but there, that doesn't mean that you can't be a human being and, and you know, per, not try, always try to project like that, you know, that, you know, you're, you're the greatest in the world at, at everything. And, and I don't know that. So there's that line you have to draw. But I think being observant on social media um, of people who do this well, um, you start to understand what that line is. It's got to be something relevant to that fits that you can use as an analogy. And I know I'm a fan of Gary Vee and one of the things that he had been, he was talking to some real estate people. And one of the things he said is, you know, they were wondering, what do I write about? And so he asked them what they're interested in. And one guy said, you know, I'm, I'm a huge movie buff. And, uh, you know, it's what I, I love it when I'm not here at work. He's like, well, then talk about it. Yeah. So then you're the, re you're the real estate agent who's a movie expert. Yep. Use it. Exactly. You know, yeah, so I, totally. I, so that's a lot different than using yourself authentically and using the things you care and are interested in. You know, you might be, you might be super into a sport like crazy into, you know, a certain football team or basketball team or a certain type of sport, you can use that, you know, you just use it appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a, a friend of mine. Um, oh, I, I call him a friend, uh, although we've never actually met on met in person, but, uh, uh, you know, a connection on LinkedIn who I interact with a lot. His name is, um, Steve Shank Shanker. And he is, um, he doesn't post he's, he's a lawyer who, and he, but he doesn't post anything about legal issues um he's a new york city history buff and every day he posts some historical photo about new york and he tells a story behind the photo and i think i don't know if it was yesterday he posted a photo of roger maris and mickey mantle and and he's a big yankees fan and so to your point it and he's got a big following and and i know he's got a, a excellent legal practice and i know linkedin's an important part of that but he's not he's never posting about you know the latest um, statutory changes or court of appeals case. It's just not part of what he does. Yeah. And it really works for some people. And I think you do that in a way. And I think all the people that I really enjoy reading or listening to on LinkedIn do that in a way where they're just, you know, they're open to using their experience, what they are passionate about and relating it to the challenges that they help solve in business. I don't, I want to make sure I ask you about something you do and then I'll do a couple of real quick questions to get you out of here on time. But can you tell me a little bit about the Thought Leadership Collaborative? That, oh, sure. Because I think that's so cool. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, we've um, – so we, we do – you know, I do a lot of, like, one-on-one -on -one coaching with clients. Um, I do training work for law firms specifically on things like, you know, how to use LinkedIn effectively. But, you know, there, there's, a, there's a limit to what you can do in those domains or the, in, in those structures. And so what the Thought Leader Collaborative is is a – I guess people will probably be most familiar with the term like membership site, right? Where it's a it's an online community where we're going to be doing um, training. Um, it's going to be a lot of uh, community collaboration, 
Um, we're going to be bringing on um, experts from outside of our organization. Um, we're going to have online resources uh, for people. Um, and so it's a, it's a platform where people can learn how to use LinkedIn effectively to uh, become a thought leader, um, build their brand, grow their network, and ultimately grow their practice. Um, so our our audience or our you know membership, we're targeting it towards um, those in professional services. Um, and and so it's going to be launching in August. Um, we're going to be having our our first kind of um, window open for registration the last week in July, and then we'll open that up like every four months to new members. Um, but yeah, it's a it's an opportunity to kind of teach what we do at scale, at a greater scale, um, for more people at a much lower price point. Um, so yeah, we're excited about that. It's a kind of a new way to deliver, um, you know, the consulting services we do to a, hopefully a bigger audience. Yeah, and also maybe an audience that can't do the custom one-on-one services, but they still need the help. I think it's great. I saw, I, I looked at it and looked at what you're offering, and uh, honestly, I think it would help a lot of people. And since I consume a lot of your content, I think I'm almost reading everything you put out at this point. Um, I think people will get a lot out of it. So, you know, we'll certainly talk it up when it comes out because I think there's a lot of value there. Um, you know, you, you do content very, very well. Yeah, we're excited about it. I mean, cause in, in part because we're, you know, it's it's a way, like right now I could never, at least in a, in a paid engagement, I would never be working with like a law student or even, you know, I have so many connections um, on LinkedIn internationally, right? In markets where, you know, the idea of, of spending $400 um, for an hour of, of coaching services just isn't feasible, but we're going to be able to, you know, do this for, you know, just, just a tiny fraction of that. Are, um, and, and for like law students in particular, we're going to open it up um, for like $10 a month. And so now we'll, we'll have a whole new you know, avenue to, I guess, be helpful, right? Um, it, that's the idea, at least. I mean, it's obviously not a charity, but it's a, it's a way to do business and and with more people in a at a price point that we haven't been able to do before. Um, and that's the, I guess, that's the benefit and the beauty of technology and scale. Yeah, and also you get to help people that you would never have as client. I mean, law students aren't going to be able to sign up for your services, and it's a way for people that are curious to dip their toe in and start to re- learn for real. I think those kind of programs are great. So good for you for doing it. Thank you. So what was the, I always like to ask people, this has been a really difficult year for everyone. I think a very strange, challenging year. What was the highlight of this past year for you? <laughs> I, <laughs> I know it's say, hard. Well, it? no, no, I, but I, I think I have an answer to that. I mean, if I look back um, like at last summer and even, even this winter, um, the, the ability to just have a more, um, balanced and less busy sort of social schedule, like outside of work, my kids had less going on, we had less going on. And as a result of that, you know, we got, we, we got to spend more time doing a lot of the things that, that we really enjoy doing. And, and so I'd say that, and that's mostly, and, you know, luckily most of that, those things we like to do are done outdoors. Um, so I, I looked really, I looked back, um, fondly, you know, last summer where we just had more time to, to spend outside doing the types of activities that we, um, really were the reason we moved up here in the first place. So that was probably one of the, one of the highlights. Good for you. Yeah. I think there's a, there's silver linings in all the, all the craziness of last year. And so I like to ask that question. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Final question to get you out of here on time. 
what would the Jay Harrington today, the experienced Jay Harrington, tell the younger version of yourself? <laughs> um, all right. Try to keep that brief. Yeah. Uh, well, you you got to go, so you got to keep. Yeah. Brief. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I would. I would just say, like, slow down and be a bit more patient. Um, you know, I. I was really. I, I think I look back and think. You know, my uh, especially the latter half of my twenties, where I was just working like crazy, um, ultra ambitious, um, was a time that you know I, I certainly grew professionally and whatnot, but I missed out on a bit. You know, my wife and I we got married when I was twenty five, um, and she was twenty five. Just finished law school, so right before I started working. Um, I wish I had taken some of those years, you know, before we had started a family and had kids and done more traveling, um, just kind of relaxed a little bit more, you know, wasn't, didn't get so worked up about everything. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that my advice to my, my former self was just like, chill out a little bit, um, because everything's going to be okay. And the things that you think that you'll want, uh, 20 years from now, don't actually turn out to be the things that you want now. That's great. That's great advice for anyone, any younger person watching this and anybody getting started in their career. And also the things that you think are a huge big deal, often in hindsight, weren't as big of a deal as you thought. Totally. So, hey, thank you so much for doing this today, man. I really appreciate it. No, it, was, it was great, Steve. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on. Yeah.